With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to Cause of Death. My name is Jackie Moranti. I've been studying infectious disease for 14 years in various research settings. I have a Bachelor's of Science from Colorado State University in Microbiology, Immunology, and Virology. I've worked with diseases like tuberculosis, SARS-1, and SARS-CoV-2, better known as COVID-19, and I've worked with EHV-1. It's my feeling that if we look back at the pandemics of the past, we may be able to better handle the pandemics of the future. The problem is, we have to learn our lessons first. Come along with me while I tell you about the pandemics, the epidemics, and the outbreaks, and how we never seem to learn our lesson. I need to thank my sponsors for today, the Downtown Growers Market. You can access local food at the Downtown Growers Market using your EBT or SNAP benefits. And the best part about that, they're going to double up your food bucks, which means you're going to get to spend half the money and get twice as much amazing local food. So go check them out. They are every Saturday from 8 to noon at Robinson Park, 8th and Central. Thank you so much to the Downtown Growers Market for sponsoring today's show. True Consequences is a true crime and mystery podcast with stories based in New Mexico and the American Desert Southwest. I'm your host, Eric Carter Bondine. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of True Consequences. I'm your host, Eric Carter Bondine. Today we're going to be discussing a little known case. This case is extremely important though because the child who was murdered in this case has not received justice in over 10 years. He was only four months old when he died. Today I'm going to tell you the story of one of New Mexico's forgotten children, Baby Brian Green. I am Eric Carter-Landine, and this is True Consequences. Let's start off by hearing a little bit about who Baby Brian was and what he meant to his family. Today I'm joined by Jean Belts, the mother of baby Brian, and today Jean is going to walk us through the story of baby Brian, what happened to him, and why there has been no justice in this case. Welcome to the show, Jean. How are you today? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, thank you for trusting me to share baby Brian's story. Thank you for your willingness to to speak about this difficult subject. And I'm very, very sorry for your loss. If there was anything I could say that could make anything better, I, I would definitely do that. But I know that that there's not. So um, I just want to say thank you for being here. It, it makes a big difference that somebody cares. Yeah, so that that yeah, absolutely. That's my uh, my whole mission now in life has has been fighting for justice for people who are who are needing it. So and New Mexico definitely has its challenges with justice for sure. So. Uh, the listeners may hear some some kids in the background. Jean is a, a, a mom, and she's taking care of those kids. And so 
please, uh, please forgive that, but know that this is real life and, and this is what happens. So, um, Gene, why don't we start with uh, telling me a little bit about baby Brian, um, when he was born and what you remember about him? Well, I was 18 when I got pregnant and, um, my boyfriend at the time, the baby daddy didn't want anybody to know. And he was very secretive and quiet. He was scared of what his parents were going to say. Um, at first he wanted me to get an abortion. And when I said I wouldn't do that, he wanted me to give the baby up for adoption. And I was like, no, I didn't feel a whole lot of support because of the secrecy and my family when I was finally able to tell my family because um, I felt scared to tell them was abusive in many ways and it just evolved from the moment I met him uh, from being very mental telling me I have nobody better that I could be with than him and things like that um, to being very like violent and so um, it slowly progressed, and I, I watched that progression. And I, I kept telling myself it was going to get better, it was going to get better, it was going to get better. So then the baby comes, and he is just this beautiful blue-eyed wonder. Um, I was doing school full-time, uh, college at UNM. I was going for my teaching degree. I was working part-time. We had our own apartment, baby daddy. Uh, Damien Galbraith was working full-time and helping me watch Brian and it was just amazing to be able to have that time bonding with him because he didn't go to daycare and we didn't really because of the situation with Damien we didn't really um, take him anywhere he was pretty much just stayed at home all the time so he was like my one and only friend and it was just like my favorite moments were when I'd be getting ready in the morning and I'd be putting my makeup on and Brian would just be sitting in the bouncer staring at me giggling away and um, <laughs> I'd see him touching his mouth when I started to put my lipstick on and stuff like that it was just adorable and I could tell him everything about my day about what I was concerned about or what made me happy and he would just sit there and just lap it all up and he wouldn't cry or anything he just he sounds like a, a dynamic and and beautiful child thank you he's definitely got a totally different personality from my other kids baby Brian Green was born on April 4th 2011 to Jean and Damien both Jean and Damien were very young parents Jean was only 18 when she had baby Brian, and the two had a very strong bond together. Some of the red flags that were very disturbing as Jean discussed baby Brian was the behavior of Damien. The fact that he wanted to keep the baby a secret and wanted Jean to get an abortion or put Brian up for adoption were only a couple of the red flags that Jean would notice as time went on. So you talked about, about Brian's dad being abusive physically towards you. Um, did you did you notice any other warning signs in his behavior that he, that might have been concerning around the baby? He used to flick him on the forehead whenever he was crying, and I got really mad about that. I'm uh, I'm speechless at that. That that's not behavior that is is okay, or or even as a joke, it's not okay to 
to treat a baby that way. Um, when he would put him to bed at night, you know how you swaddle a baby? Mm-hmm. He would go to swaddle Brian at night because Brian was getting a little bit older and he was starting to move more. He would make it extra, extra tight. And to make it that tight meant that he was going over the top of Brian's shoulders, which any parent knows you cannot swaddle a baby over their shoulders like that. Um, but he would do that and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and it would be around his neck. So I was oh constantly God. arguing with Damien about not putting him to bed that way. But he would huh. like push me out of the room. And if I didn't listen to what he said, he would wait and go into the bedroom and close the door and yell at me and push me. And there were a couple of times where he actually hit me because he did not want me to, um, quote, disrespect him as a parent by telling him what to do or asking him not to do something that he was doing. That must have been terrifying. Yeah. Um, and like when Brian would be in the bouncer, one of the things that Damien really did a lot was he would take our comforter, our big, heavy comforter, and stick it over the top of him while he was in the bouncer crying. And he got mad at me when I told him he can't do that and he wouldn't stop. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just put a pillow between so at least he has that space from the mm-hmm. pillow being under there. Um, and when Damien got wind of that, he would he wouldn't, he would pull the pillow out. Um, wow, I'm just at a loss of words here. I, I can't imagine watching somebody do that to your child. That just is terrifying. I would leave to go to school and work and I would come back home and um, Brian would be almost every single time Brian would be in the swing or the bouncer he would have no onesie on Um, he would have like really really cold skin that was damp like he had just gotten milk all over himself or something and his diaper would be like exploding full not only questionable behavior but also seems like some negligence as well yeah Yeah. and there was moments where um i got really really mad at him because he would put up his hand and try to balance brian on the palm of his hand oh my god and um there were several times where he almost fell because of it and i would catch him so so i don't know how many times that might have happened while i wasn't home which is scary it's terrifying. Absolutely. Were there any like injuries that required treatment or, or anything prior to, you know, prior to Brian's no, death? I mean, we never had to go anywhere for anything. I just know like even at four months old, he was already starting to teeth a little bit. And I went to go and get him um, baby Orgel. And I used my tip money for it because Damien had like this iron fist over money and not spending it unless it was something he wanted to buy. Um, and I went and I used my tips to get him baby aura gel and then Damien yelled at me and he was like, no, he needs to learn how to suck it up. Oh my God. But I think that's the closest we've ever gotten to anything like that. And were there ever any like CYFD reports or anything that happened? No. Okay. Unfortunately, I wish I wish there had been some background. Maybe they would have actually prosecuted him and like 
Maybe it would have stuck if he had that there, or if I had reported any of the abuse he put me through. And I know that it's tough when you're in that situation, especially when you're young, to know what to do or or how to even deal with a situation like that. It's even a, a, an older woman or an older person, for that matter, going through domestic violence and and watching these things happen. It's so difficult to know exactly what to do. And then especially when you have somebody like that who's controlling all of the money, you know, leaving really isn't an option in that at that point. No, it was, I mean, like, I I had a suitcase that I would keep under the bed. I put it way under the middle of the bed so he couldn't see it. And it had some clothes for me and some clothes for Brian and, like, like little necessities for us that we could leave. Like, at any moment, I was looking for an opportunity to leave. And I felt so um, horrible for the longest time. I've had such bad PTSD after this mm-hmm. that um, I didn't leave sooner. I think that's pretty common, you know, for domestic violence victims and for people who are being gaslit and emotionally abused to to have that feeling of, of self-blame. But I think it's important for everyone listening and, and hopefully for you to know that, that that is very common and wasn't your fault. You know, it was his fault. He was the one who was, who was abusive in this situation. I, I've talked about this on my show over and over again, and I've had experts come on and talk about domestic violence, and it's just so, you know, because when it's good in those relationships, it's so good, and it makes you question your sanity. Yeah. It makes you find a lot of excuses for the behavior that happened. Mm-hmm. And then especially because little by little, I mean, he wore down all of my self-confidence. Yeah. And, that, and when that happens, you get so depressed, you just don't think that, that anything's going to get any better. So why would you try? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about, about prior to Brian's death? I just, I, I wish that I would have seen those little things that he was doing and not, and, and realized those were red flags. And I hope that whoever is listening maybe if they're in that kind of a situation that they'll see you know maybe that there might be some red flags in their own personal situation or somebody they know and try to help be more understanding absolutely i think that that's a that's a huge huge hope for even you know my mom and i when we we started talking about our our story it was like well we didn't really have a situation where it was the best situation right like my brother ended up dead because of because of everything and if there's just one person who can be helped by hearing these stories it's worth it it's worth it it is even though it's hard even though it hurts to talk about um i think helping people is is all that you can really hope for out of this these types of situations the following data are from the new mexico coalition against domestic violence website and will be linked in my show notes In 2017, 37.6% of women and 33% of men had experienced intimate partner violence in their lifetime. And every year in the U.S., 6.6% of women and 6.4% of men experience intimate partner violence. These statistics are of reported incidences of IPV and do not take into account the number of unreported cases of domestic violence. In 2017, The Domestic Violence Hotline in New Mexico fielded 13,000 calls. Here's a quote from the annual report provided by the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Quote, 
In 2017, there were 19,234 domestic violence incidences reported statewide through law enforcement agencies. This was a 3% decrease from what was reported in 2016. Nationally, the National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey found that one in four women in the U.S. have experienced severe physical violence by an intimate partner in her lifetime, and one in three experienced being pushed, slapped, or shoved by an intimate partner. Similarly, the NISVS found that one in seven men in the U.S. has experienced severe physical violence by an intimate partner in his lifetime, and one in four has been slapped, pushed, or shoved by an intimate partner. Nationally, in the 12-month period prior to the NISVS, 4.5% of men were victims of intimate partner physical violence, 2% victims of severe physical violence. The NISVS reported that 3.6% of women were victims of intimate partner physical violence, 2.7% were victims of severe physical violence. Here's another quote from the same report. Quote, identifying children at risk service providers reported that children were present at one out of every 3.3 domestic violence incidents in 2017. 79% of those children were under the age of 12. The ASD revealed that children who witnessed abuse are four times more likely to experience child abuse than children who do not witness abuse. It further found that most 62% of abused children experience multiple types of abuse, most typically at the hands of a family member. 84%. And those abused as children have poorer health outcomes. Survivors abused as children compared to those who were not abused were six times more likely to be abused as an adult, four times more likely, respectively, to be told they have mental illness and attempt suicide, and three times more likely, respectively, to think about suicide and be told they have a substance abuse problem. The children served by statewide service providers represent 41.5% of the number present at the scene of domestic violence incidents as reported by law enforcement. These numbers represent only children in domestic violence cases that are reported. With so much at stake, it is imperative that greater effort be made, protocols for coordinated community response and systems in place to better identify children that witness child abuse and ensure participation in appropriate counseling for assessment and treatment. End quote. Before we go into what happened to baby Brian, I just want to share some red flags for both domestic violence and child abuse. Let's start with domestic violence. This is from the House of Ruth website, and I'll be quoting directly and will include links in the show notes. Red flag behaviors include someone who wants to move too quickly into the relationship. Early in the relationship, flatters you constantly and seems too good to be true. Wants you all to him or herself and insists that you stop spending time with friends or family. Insists that you stop participating in hobbies or activities that you enjoy. Does not honor your boundaries. Is excessively jealous and accuses you of being unfaithful. Wants to know where you are all the time. Frequently calls, emails, and texts you throughout the day. Criticizes or puts you down. Says you are crazy, stupid, and or fat or unattractive. Or that no one else would ever want or love you. Takes no responsibility for his or her behavior and blames others has a history of abusing others, blames the entire failure of previous relationships on his or her former partner. For example, quote, my ex was totally crazy, end quote. Takes your money or runs up your credit card debt, rages out of control with you, but can maintain composure around others. Here's some additional red flags for domestic violence. They will control what you are doing, check your phone, email, or social networks without your permission, force you to have sexual intercourse when you don't want to, Controls your birth control or insists that you get pregnant. Decides what you wear or eat or how you spend money. 
prevents or discourages you from going to school or work or seeing your family or friends, humiliates you on purpose in front of others, unfairly accuses you of being unfaithful, destroys your things, threatens to hurt you, your children or your loved ones or pets, hurts you physically, including with a weapon, blames you for his or her violent outbursts, threatens to hurt themselves because they are upset with you, threatens to report you to authorities for imagined crimes, and says things like, if I can't have you, then no one can. These are just the tip of the iceberg, but these are some red flags that I feel that every person should be aware of. Uh, As you're talking to people that you know and love, these are the things that will indicate that there's a possibility domestic violence is occurring in that relationship. The next set of warning signs that I'm going to read is related to signs that children are being abused. And this is read directly from the CACJTX.org website. Signs of physical abuse. Unexplained changes in the child's body or behavior or regression to earlier developmental stages. Any injuries, bruises, burns, fractures that cannot be explained. Watchful and on alert behavior as if the child is waiting for something bad to happen. Shying away from touch, flinching at sudden movements, or seeming afraid to go home. Appearing to be afraid of adults, wearing clothing inappropriate to the season or weather to cover injuries. One example would be a long sleeve shirt on a hot day. Failing school, frequent headaches or stomach aches with no medical cause. Signs of emotional abuse, behavioral changes, speech disorders, substance abuse, developmental delays, lack of attachment to the parent, excessively withdrawn, fearful, or anxious about doing something wrong, acts either inappropriately adult, taking care of other children, or inappropriately infantile, such as rocking back and forth, sucking their thumb, throwing tantrums. Extremely passive or aggressive behavior is another indicator of emotional abuse. Signs of sexual abuse include extreme sexual behavior that seems inappropriate for the child's age, sexual acting out on other children, genital pain, itching, sweating, or bleeding, as well as STDs, refusal to change for physical activities or refusal to participate in physical activities, depression, runaway, fear of being alone with adults, especially of a particular gender, suicide attempts, trouble walking or sitting, nightmares or bedwetting, sudden changes in appetite, fear of a particular person and or family member. And finally, these are some signs of neglect. Frequently absent from school, theft of food or money, consistently poor hygiene, lack of appropriate clothing for weather or season, frequently unsupervised, left alone to play in unsafe situations and environments, or lacking needed medical or dental care. Again, I went through all of those pretty quickly, but you can click on the links in the show notes to read through some of these signs of abuse, whether it's domestic violence or child abuse. I think that everybody should be aware of these so that if you notice something that seems off, you may be able to reference some of this information and go back and file a report if necessary. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, what you're about to hear is Gene retelling the story of the day that baby Brian died. And it is heart-wrenching and difficult to listen to, but it's so important to understand what happened and why Gene is still seeking justice for baby Brian. If you don't mind, let's go into what happened on the day that Brian died. I woke up at about mm, six or so in the morning, I think, and I started getting ready. And, um, you know, first thing with Brian being an infant, wake him up, breastfeed him, get him changed and all good to go, put him in his bouncer, get me ready to go. He was asleep in his bouncer and I left to walk to the bus stop, went to go to work, went to go to school. Um, I went to my class first, then I went to work and then I got a call from Damien. And this was at the point in time where you used to have to pay for your phone minutes. Yeah. And he was out of minutes for the month. So I knew if he was calling me, it was a big deal. So I went off to the side to answer and he was just hysterical. And he was saying that um, Brian wasn't responsive. Hmm. And I was like, did you call the 911? He's like, oh, no, I haven't. I was like, well, get off the phone with me and call 911. Um, and he got off. And at first I thought he was joking, but I mean, just the way that he was, we just kept on going. I knew he wasn't. And I just told my boss, I flew out of work. I was like, I got to get going home. And I ran over to the bus stop so that I could leave. And I worked at UNM and I live on the exact opposite side of town. And uh, it was quite a distance when you don't have a vehicle. So I called my mom to try to pick me up. And she was like, well, I can or I can go over there to him and make sure that the baby's okay. And I was like, you know what? That sounds like a better idea because you can get there before me. And um, so she drove over there and unfortunately she got to see the um, the way that Brian looked. And from what I understand, he had thrown up all over himself. Um, he wasn't responsive and he was completely naked. And Damien was just running around holding him. And I'm glad I didn't see that but that also gave my mom some PTSD after seeing all that. Um, so then I, his mom gave me a ride over there. I got there just as the ambulance was leaving. My roommate was there and he was, uh, he came on the car ride with us over to the hospital. I got to the hospital and I tried talking to Damien before the cops pulled us apart so that they could like interview us. I think CYFD so they could interview us. Um, separately and all I heard from him was I don't know what happened I spanked him to try to wake him up I hope that's not a bad thing I hope it's not a bad thing and that was like literally all I heard from him and then he like I guess his dad or something overheard and told him look son don't mention that to them that you did that because they're going to automatically assume that you're the one that hurt him and put him in this state oh my god and um it took like they brought me to the station and they brought him and i had no idea what was going on with brian the last i had seen of him there was a room full of people in the er working on him 
and they didn't tell me anything about how he was doing and they held me for questioning for 13 hours. Gotten to the point where when they were talking to me, I just had no more tears to cry. I was like dry heaving. I'm so sorry. What a nightmare. I mean, what a nightmare. Yeah, so I was I was held for questioning for 13 hours and then in the middle of the night, they released me into my mom's care. And um, when I got to my mom's house, they sat me down and told me they had some something they needed to tell me. And they were bawling, um, or trying not to, at least. But they told me that he was basically brain dead. Mm. Um, I can't even... If you have never heard a mother or a grandmother scream when they hear that their baby is pretty much dead... Um, yeah, that's scary. It brings out a whole new level of emotion that you didn't know you could feel. It is the most gut-wrenching sound that anyone can ever have to hear. The the grief of a mother who's lost her baby. Um, it was like my mom and I in unison were just lost it. Um, anyway, she took me to the hospital to meet up with them and see him. And the... The nurses there were very, very nice to me. And they said, um, personally, that that they don't believe that I did anything. That this looks completely like an abuse case. There were um, several bruises on his head. There were some scratch marks on his back. His butt was completely black and blue. Like, every single inch, even on his hips. And uh, they were just, they were very kind. And so I don't understand how it ended up when OMI got a hold of his body because he died three days later. They, he had absolutely no blood on his brain. And it was so difficult. I mean, obviously having him die, the fact that it was near my birthday and everything, but also the fact that, you know, when OMI finally gave us the results, all they said was, you know, it was... Um, undeterminable what caused it and for me i'm like he was suffocated it, it can't you like it isn't that obvious to you and they were like we can't conclusively say that because the bruises on his head look to be caused by internal pressure and not external pressure and i hmm. don't understand how they got away with that i'm going to read you a little bit of the police report as well as the OMI report, just so that you have that information before we move on in this story. Quote, I was dispatched to Blue Water Road Northwest in reference to four-month-old baby that was unconscious. I was also advised by radio that there was a strong odor of gas coming from the apartment. Upon arrival, I could smell the odor of gas coming from the apartment. I opened the door and saw Damien carrying his four-month-old son, Brian Green, Damien and Brian were in the hallway of the apartment. Damien was crying real hard and was visibly upset. Officer Kay Riley initially took the baby from Damien's arms and transported him away from the apartment because of the strong odor of gas coming from the apartment. Officer Riley was looking for rescue, so I took the baby and held him. The baby was having a hard time breathing and he had some vomit coming from his mouth. I initially saw a red mark on the left side of the baby's head but did not think much of it initially. Rescue arrived and took control of the baby. I went over to the apartment but returned to the ambulance and the red mark on the baby's forehead was even more distinctive. Rescue was asking Damien if the baby fell. He was saying no. 
Damien had vomit on his shirt, so I asked him about it. He said it happened when he was giving the baby CPR. I went to the apartment to see, again, how strong the gas smell was. And that is when I noticed that there was vomit on the bed that was in the room on the right side. The window to that bedroom was open. I did notice that there was a bouncer in the bedroom on the left. I also noticed a playpen in the living room. The bedroom on the left did not have any windows open, but AFD did open it up to air the house out. The baby was transported by Albuquerque Ambulance to Presbyterian along with Damien. I had Officer Riley stand by at the apartment, and I went to the hospital to do some follow-up investigation. When I was at the hospital, the staff was working on the baby. I did notice that the red mark was getting bigger. I pulled Damien aside and told him to start from the moment he woke up. Damien said that his girlfriend, the baby's mother, left the house around 6.30 a.m. He said that the mother fed the baby and put him in the bouncer. Damien said that he got up and latched the baby on the bouncer. He said the baby was fine. I asked Damien if he could smell the gas in the house. He said that he was not sure. He did not know what it smelled like. Damien said that he went back to sleep and so did the baby. He said that he went to lay in the living room while the baby was still in the bouncer. Damien said that his roommate woke him up around 10 a.m. because he had to go with his stepfather. Damien said that he woke up and went to his roommate's room and watched him play Guitar Hero. He said that he heard a knock at the door and it was his roommate's stepdad. The stepdad said that there was a smell of gas in the house. He thought the roommate had turned off the burners. Damien said that he went to his bedroom to get the baby. He picked the baby up, but something seemed wrong with him. He said that when he usually picks the baby up, he is very interactive. Damien said that this time the baby was moving real slow. He said that he became concerned, so he took the baby to the living room and out on the patio. He said while he was on the patio, he noticed the baby's eyes started to roll to the back of his head, and he was not responsive. Damien said that he got some ice and started rubbing it all over the baby. He said that he went to the living room and put the baby on the couch and went outside to get his phone charger. Damien said that he then took the baby into his roommate's room and called his girlfriend. He said that Gene was not really talking to him, so he called 911. He said that he was told by the rescue to give the baby CPR. Damien said that that's when the baby vomited. I asked Damien about the bump on the baby's head, and he said that he did not know how that happened. The roommate was at the hospital, so I asked him what happened before he left. He said that he woke up around 9.20 because his stepfather was going to pick him up. He said that he woke Damien from the living room and started to play Guitar Hero. He said that Damien came in the room to watch. He said when his stepfather arrived, he told them that there was a strong smell of gas in the apartment. He said that they opened the doors and windows to let the apartment air out. He said that he then left with his stepfather. I asked if he saw the baby before he left and he said no. The roommate said that the door to Damien's room was closed. I then spoke with Jean and she said that she woke up around 6 a.m., said that she changed the baby, put him back in the bouncer, and that the baby was fine when she changed him. Jean said the baby was lifting up his feet and playing with him. Jean said that she had to catch the bus at 7 a.m., so she left at around 6.30 a.m. Jean said that Damien was getting up to fasten the baby to the bouncer when she left. I spoke to the hospital staff at Presbyterian, and I was told that the injuries did appear to be suspicious. The Texas Welter came to the hospital and took over the investigation. I did contact CYFD, and they did come out. End quote. So that's a lot of information from the initial police report. But it seems like there were definitely some suspicious injuries that had occurred. It just didn't seem right to the nurses as well as the police. Finally, I'm going to read you a little bit from the opinion of the Office of the Medical Investigator regarding the autopsy of baby Brian. Quote, 
four-month-old infant Brian Green died of undetermined causes. According to reports, the decedent was last seen alive at around 5 a.m. on August 21, 2011. He was fed, diapered, and placed in a bouncy chair around that time. At around 11 a.m., the decedent's father found him unresponsive in the bouncing chair. When his initial attempts at reviving the infant were unsuccessful, he called 911. Upon arrival at the home, emergency medical services and police responders reported a strong smell of gas. The infant was transported to a local hospital where a CT scan revealed severe brain damage due to lack of oxygen. The infant was now pronounced brain dead. Shortly after noon, he was taken off of life support and died at approximately 2.45 p.m. The infant was reportedly healthy at the time of birth on April 4, 2011, and had no significant illnesses or injuries since then. Autopsy revealed bruises on the head, buttocks, and left calf. There were scrapes on his head, left arm, and back. There was a large red patch of skin on the right side of the back of the head. There was no bleeding of the deep tissue of the scalp and no skull or brain injuries associated with the red patch. When examined under the microscope, the skin showed changes consistent with prolonged pressure, but no evidence of injury. It is not known what caused the skin lesion, which was reportedly not present on the infant prior to his hospitalization. There was no bleeding around the brain, and there was no evidence of injuries of the substance of the brain. The brain was swollen and showed signs caused by lack of oxygen. There was pneumonia, an inflammation of the lungs often caused by bacteria, viral, or fungal organisms. The child most likely developed pneumonia in the hospital because he was intubated and on a ventilator. X-rays of the entire body revealed no old or new bone injuries. Toxicological analysis of blood obtained from the hospital was negative for common prescription and street drugs of abuse. There was no evidence of disease that could cause sudden death. Because it's unclear what initiated the child's brain injury, the cause and manner of death are best described as undetermined. So let's hear about potential charges that were brought against baby Brian's dad, Damien. From what I know of Damien's charges, he had been initially charged with like negligence leading to child death and with abuse of a, of a child. Those charges were all dropped. Did they ever tell you why they were dropped? They said that they had no more evidence to support having him charged, but they didn't give me a whole lot of info. And at that time, I wasn't, I wasn't as strong as I am now to talk to them about it. Right. When you were young, you were, you were a kid. Yeah. He died the day after I turned 21. I mean, 20. And he was, he was two when he died? He was two weeks away from being five months old. Brian didn't have to die. There was no reason for it. It's just absurd. And, and the way that New Mexico treats our kids, especially the kids who are being abused, has always been a problem. I can't help but draw parallels between your story and my brother's story and my story. Um, and that was 34 years ago. It's... It hasn't gotten better. It it only gets worse. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to take for things to change. Yeah. So I wish um, that that the media uh, had been a bigger influence at the time. I would have been putting his name out there yeah. if I could have. They told me I wasn't allowed to talk to the media while he was still in the hospital and everything. 
And so to this day, it's been 10 years almost, you've never heard from any DA, investigators, anything like that about this? Nope. Like I said, I tried that one time and they told me that his case had been dismissed due to lack of any more evidence or something like that. And that's the last I've heard. Have you, I think I asked you this when we were talking before, have you thought about a petition or or anything like that? Mm, Sort of, but I don't know what all to do. Yeah. Um, If you're interested in that, I can, I can definitely help you with that. Um, I did one for my brother and it, it got the attorney general to respond to me and really believe in that because it kind of puts pressure on these officials to do something with their position um, to actually act because I definitely think that it, it's worth looking at. Um, is there anything else that you want to say or share before we wrap this up? I just I just want him to pay for what he's done. I hate that he's walking free and I hate that he lives in the same city as me. Yeah. He's tried reaching out to talk to me on Facebook recently. Mm. So. I definitely understand what that's like. It's, uh, doesn't make it any easier. It only makes it worse. Well, I, I really hope that we can help you get justice for baby Brian and for you. You deserve it, and and so does Brian. There's no reason why he should have gone through what he went through. He was innocent. He didn't deserve to be treated that way, and you didn't deserve to be treated that way, and I'm, I'm so very sorry, and I wish that, like I said, there was something I could say that would make things better for you, but I know there isn't. Well, I mean, it helps that, that you sympathize and you care. So thank you. Yeah, I, uh, I think I understand more than most people. It can feel lonely when you're in the situation to know that, that, you know, the the authorities don't care and, and it's hard to talk about, you know, it's hard not to be extremely paranoid with my kids. Sure. You know, worried. What if, you know, they get in trouble and how is the government going to help? Because I felt like they let me down so much already. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm the same way with my son. I'm very protective of him. And he's 15, and I thought it would be better by the time he got older, but it hasn't been better. I'm uh, I'm still the same way, but I think it's because I've seen too much and I've experienced too much to trust anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I've seen how easy it is to have an abusive friendship or an abusive relationship with someone and how it escalates. Yeah, for sure. Well... I want to thank you for your time and I want to thank you for your honesty and and your vulnerability. I know this wasn't an easy, an easy thing to do. If people want to help you or if they want to support you, um, is there any, any way you want people to reach out to you or would you just prefer that if there was a petition, they sign it? Is there any, any other information you want to provide Um, before we move on? I have a Facebook in my son's name, B R Y A N. And Brian Green, G R E E N. So if you go on Facebook, search for Brian Green, uh, you'll be able to connect and keep up to date on what's going on. Yeah. Well, Gina, I want to thank you again for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Gina's created a change.org petition, which I have included in the show notes. Please sign and share this petition. 
Stay tuned for more as Jean works on her advocacy efforts to get justice for baby Brian. If you or someone you know is a victim of domestic or intimate partner violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. To report child abuse or neglect, call your local Child Protective Services office. And for support or resources related to child abuse, you can call 1-800-4-A-CHILD, 1-800-422-4453, then push 1 to talk to a hotline counselor. The Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline is open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Thanks for listening, and stay safe, New Mexico. Thanks for listening to True Consequences. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at True Consequences Pod and on Twitter at True Cons Pod. True Consequences is listener supported. If you'd like to support this one man show, please go to patreon.com slash true consequences. Thanks for listening and stay safe, New Mexico.